0: Oh my gosh, y'all. Today is the final episode of Mas Fino Please, the podcast, season one. If you have listened to every single one of these episodes, thank you. And if you've only listened to one of these episodes, thank you. This is such a crazy experience because I didn't know how to do anything pertaining to podcasting before this i barely knew how to open like adobe on my computer and here we are a little bit off track in terms of timing i think i wanted to finish this in like september um but you know there was a learning curve i taught myself how to record i taught myself how to edit how to get it on apple i didn't know how to do that before (laughs) get it on Spotify. And all the while I was able to meet with these incredible guests of mine and talk about wine and learn from them and hopefully share something new with you. And hopefully you all were able to learn about some of their journeys, um, and some different kind of corners and aspects of the industry. I, I loved Having these conversations with people and really diving into what wine means for them and what led them to wine in their own personal life and journey. And so, yeah, so thank you for being a part of it. Season one was fucking awesome. And I am ready to start working on season two. I'm gonna take a couple of weeks off. editing and just kind of like gather myself and a plan and then I have some really cool people lined up for season two that I will start working on and hopefully get to you by spring which is really only a couple weeks away (laughs) so again thank you so much for everyone who supported me doing this podcast it was yeah it was an adventure and I started it back in like the spring of last year, March or April. I don't remember. And we, I think we went live in May and, or maybe I went live in June. I honestly, I don't even remember anymore, but I've had a great, 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 great time. And yeah. So thanks again for listening and in honor of our season finale of season one, Mos <laughs> Vino, please the podcast. I thought, what better way to end the season than with somebody who has had a huge influence on me but knows nothing, no, I'm just kidding, not nothing, but doesn't know as much about wine. And I figured, what if we flipped the conversation and instead of me learning about wine from different industry folks, I'm teaching someone else about wine things and just general discussion with somebody who has had a lot of influence on my life. So I decided to bring to you a very exclusive interview with the one and only Andres Felipe Jaramillo, the one and only D.A.D., my dad here in the house ready to chat with us about wine and what he feels about natural wine, which he has expressed to me multiple times. He thought it was very gimmicky, but now he's kind of changing his opinion about it and he's a little more excited to explore because he's only really known kind of these like old school sort of California wines. And I just thought it would be fun and interesting and kind of mix it up a little bit and share with you a conversation with my dad. So without further ado, let's kick off this final episode.
1: Well first, before we start recording, can I just have a little practice? Yeah, of course. Welcome to the Moss V-Note Please podcast, starring our host, Andrea Jaramillo. And our special guest today, Dad.
0: Okay, Dad. Thanks for joining us on the Vino Please podcast. Episode 10, season finale of season one. Vino Please, the podcast.
1: I am very honored that you decided to include me. Yes.
0: So I have an activity for us that I feel that the people might appreciate and enjoy. And it is a class on... Natural wine definitions, what natural wine means, common words that we hear in natural wine and how they're used, what they mean, and you're going to be our encyclopedia of that.
1: Well, you picked a really bad encyclopedia for that.
0: I'm just just going to ask you what you think they mean, and then... um, You just tell me your best guess, and then I'll tell you what they actually mean. Okay. Some of the words are silly, and they sound weird, and you might think they mean one thing, but they mean something totally different. Okay. Okay. Should we do that part first, or do you want to try the wine first? Maybe let's try the wine first. That'll help.
1: I've been dying to try your... your... Yeah, I've been dying to try your wine.
0: Okay. So, I will... So, this is my dad's... First time trying Como La Flor, the Mas Vino Please and Wonderwork collaboration wine that was released last month on October 20th, two months ago on October 20th, already sold out. If you didn't get it, I'm sorry. And we have one bottle left here in the world. <sighs> I'm just kidding. There's more at my house. But um, this is, can I explain the wine to you? Do you know Please, about the wine Please. No, i explain. Okay. Mean. So Como La Flor is a collaboration wine that I made with my friends at Wonderwork, who I've talked to you about a lot. Um, they are two winemakers that are super dope and super experimental in the way that they make their wines. And so we collaborated on a red wine that is 50% Carignan, carbonic Carignan, which we'll define later in this episode. Um, it's made from old vine Carignan. Old vine meaning that the... The vines were planted 140 years ago in California. Yes, they're very, very old, somewhere between 120 and 140 years. So they are very OG California.
1: Where are those vines?
0: Northern California. Yes, Mm -hmm. north, northern central California, more central. Um, Their winery is in um, Gilroy, which is pretty close to Monterey, where Mateo is. It's like probably like maybe an hour from there. More central from the coast. Um and uh it's also a blend of 50% Montepulciano. So classic Italian kind of style grape, Montepulciano, but from California. And then it is uh it was done in oh the the Montepulciano was also whole cluster, which means that they put the whole cluster into the vat. Into the vat. Yeah, I don't know the word. Into the vat. Um, rather than destemming and taking it all apart, um, and then we also blended it with a very special rose tincture that we made using rose geranium. Um, it was essentially
1: what? What is ger- rose geranium?
0: Rose geranium is a flower that comes from a bush. Um, So it's not actually a rose necessarily. It doesn't even look like a rose. It's a little bit more like floppy and longer um, petals. But the smell of it smells almost exactly like a traditional rose, like a fresh rose. So Andy made a tincture of rose geranium that was sourced semi-locally in Riverside um, from an organic farm that they know there. And then it was essentially... um, Similar to like the best way I can put it for the audience to understand is like a tea in a way, but using another wine. So rather than f- creating like a fortified wine where we use a spirit, where we turned like the rose geranium into a spirit or an al- another alcohol, we did that same process, but with a wine. And so then that wine had that really strong rose geranium flavor that was then blended very carefully and very specifically and precisely into the larger uh, Carignan Montepulciano barrel, and then um, it gives it this really beautiful rose flavor.
1: Wow. It's a work of art. Yes, it is. It's a tremendous work of art.
0: All right, so I will pour you your first glass. My dad doesn't chill his red wines, but this should have a slight chill on it, but it'll be fine. For you. Okay. This is a live reaction of oh, God, my God. dad's first impression <laughs> of the Montepulciano, Carignan, Roseranium blend. Any first, any first thoughts? Any first notes that you notice in, in your smelling?
1: Mm, the smell changed slightly. Mm. Initially, it's fruity, but later it's darker in smell.
0: Anything specific that you're smelling?
1: I don't smell the rose.
0: Really? I might have to cut this part out then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning, in the beginning, there was a floral smell. <clears throat> it's delicious. I can taste it. I can, can taste, taste the rose? I can, I can taste the rose. Wow. So interesting.
0: Interesting. I wonder if when it's cold, you smell it more. Because I typically have this chilled. Mm-hmm. I chill it, and then I take it out. I open it. I have, like, the first two glasses cold. And then as... But I don't... It's not super cold. It's probably, like, 50 degrees more or less um, and then I let it come up to room temperature and let it evolve and maybe because it's been at it's not super room temp it's actually kind of cold still because the house is cold the house, cool, yeah. Yeah. but I wonder if that's like it does the reverse once it's not as not as chilled
1: this wine is very good Andrea it's very, Thank you, very dad.
0: good. Mm. dad isn't really a believer in natural wine <laughs> <laughs> he believes it's marketing and, and gimmicks, but we're here to change his perception of minimal intervention and low intervention wine. And actually, the winemakers would argue that this is high intervention wine. They talk a lot about that on the podcast episode that they were on, if you haven't already listened to it. Um, my interview with Wonderwork, Andy and Isamu. But they talk about how they use natural ingredients, um, you know natural processes but highly intervened so this for them is a is a high intervention wine because you're adding we're adding the the flour right we're adding the rose geranium blend to it which is obviously some form of intervention but it's naturally occurring it's not a fake flavor it's not uh we're not inoculating any yeast to give it this type of flavor it's all native yeast, natural yeast, um, minimal sulfates added, and um, the rose geranium. So,
1: um, the grapes um, being from an old vine, are they more concentrated flavor? Or
0: um, I think the um, old vine um, typically will just like it just is going to give like the truest. I think the truest sense of the terroir from where those grapes come from. Mm -hmm. So like, it just means that it's had more years, literally a century to really like put its roots in that ground, whatever the soil is made out of, whatever the, the environment has inflicted on the vine, on the fruit over time. Right. So like you can really tell, that the, the terroir is going to give it certain characteristics that if it were planted in any other region in California or elsewhere, it would give it like something totally different. So um, Andy put it a really good way of being that like, this is like a true expression of like California terroir, what California terroir can taste like. Most grapes are not as old as this old vine. A lot of um, what has been planted in California is like Chardonnay and cabs and maybe some pinot. That those are like the main grapes that are really planted here in California. That they think that some vineyards believe do best here, which I don't necessarily agree with. But that's what the market demands, and so therefore that's what like the California grapes are known as. But you have something like this Carignan that's been planted ages ago, and like this is a better expression of what California can taste like than like your standard standardized cab or chardonnay. Does that kind of make sense?
1: Yeah. So what <clears throat> what does the what does the vine capture that is transmitted in the flavor? The soil. When, when you say terra, what
0: the terrain, the climate, all of the things that make up the personality of the place where the grapes were grown. Yes. That's why the terroir isn't taking care of the land is important, because if you're not taking care of the land, then that's going to reflect in your final product, in your grape, over time.
1: And that's part of the natural wine? Definitely.
0: Part of the But it's also part of
1: the traditional. I mean, what's the opposite of natural wine?
0: Conventional wine.
1: Okay, so isn't that the same thing in conventional wine? Isn't the terroir really important and...
0: Uh, You you get a Malbec from... Yes and no.
1: Argentina is very different than...
0: Yes and no. I think that... I think... Like, you can still have expressive, conventional wines. (laughs) I definitely think you can still have expressive wines. But the difference is that some of these conventional wines might alter that expression using inoculated yeast using different chemicals in the winemaking process so like once it's in the winery once the grapes you could have like super organic farming but then like if you take your grapes and you put it in a winery that's uses I don't know Mega Purple and different things to assist in their winemaking process what then is Mega Purple? Mega Purple is great question should we save that? we'll save that one for our question okay okay <laughs> um yeah i think I think I think the um, the difference between natural wines and conventional wines is that natural wines lean into the idea of minimal intervention from vine to bottle mm-hmm. and I think conventional wines. They, they intervene a bit more in any part of that process. So while I like you can have an organic conventional wine, which maybe doesn't use any chemicals in the vineyard. Um, but then again, once they put it, you know, in to the winery, it might get fined. It might get filtered. They might use like different chemicals, copper and different things to assist in their winemaking process, which would then alter the wine and make it not quite a natural wine anymore. So that's the difference between a sustainable, like a, An organic wine isn't always a natural wine, but all natural wines should be organic wines. But not all natural wines... Are organic. Are certified organic. All natural wines should be organic by, like, by unregulated definition. They should all be organic. Like, that's, like, the main thing is, like, not including any chemicals in your farming practices. Um, But... Most of these smaller vineyards, they can't really afford or they choose not to get the official expensive label certification, the stamp that they have to put on their papers. That doesn't mean that it's not organic or that it's not sustainably farmed, regenerative farming or any of that biodynamic farming. And you could. Just not get that paperwork and then you would have still have an organic one. So. Not all organic wines are natural, but all natural wines are organic. Should be organic. But not all natural wines are certified Certified organic. organic.
1: Yeah, got it.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay, Dad, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Iha. Thank you for having me.
0: We're making it more dynamic. (laughs) Okay. Please introduce yourself. And tell us who you are, who our special guest is.
1: Well, my claim to fame is that I am the father of Andrea Jaramillo, Mm. podcaster and expert in the natural wine world. Mm. And I really don't deserve to be in this podcast because I don't know anything about natural wines.
0: It's a learning experience. I'm just
1: uh, an enjoyer of wine. And the way I enjoy wine more than the wine is the people I shared with, and this is a great opportunity to be drinking wine I haven't been drinking for two or three months just for just as a as a discipline, but today i'm breaking it because I truly want to enjoy this and having a wine with my daughter is wonderful, and now I hope you don't publish this, and we just have a nice conversation drinking wine. sure. <laughs>
0: Well <clears throat> I think this is a worthwhile moment to to break your your wine fast. Your alcohol fast or wine fast?
1: It's alcohol fast.
0: Is it is just for for funsies? Yes. Just to see yeah. how long you could go?
1: Yes, for a few months.
0: Oh well, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's good. It's this is this is the one occasion worth uh breaking it for.
0: Can you share a little bit about your Um, you said you, you just are a lover of wine and you like to enjoy wine with your friends and family, but can you share like your earliest wine memory? What's your earliest wine recollection?
1: I wasn't much of a wine drinker or I am not much of a wine drinker. Um, but I really enjoy drinking good wines with, I, I, I started enjoying drinking good wines with my dad, your grandpa, which is actually the person you should be interviewing Mm -hmm. for this podcast. He's the wine lover and that would be such a beautiful conversation to have recorded for posterity. And he really understands wine in a very intuitive way. He, he loves his wines and it's a pleasure to um, drink wine with him. And he, he likes wines from Portugal and Spain and from different places. And every bottle of wine he opens, he has like a little story about it. And it's wonderful to drink wines with him. So probably the first time, it's kind of like classical music. I also started listening to classical music in my 20s um, through him. Like I, I started listening, you know, to his collection. And he introduced me to some of his favorite composers. And I started listening to that. And same with the wines. So I think he's the guy you need to interview for yeah. this podcast. He's going
0: to be on my next season 2 whenever he comes back to town. Definitely have him on the podcast for sure. So your first memories are in your 20s? You didn't have wine before? You don't you don't have like a childhood memory of drinking wine?
1: No. So in Colombia, wines were not very good. Is but- that where you're from? <laughs> If your audience doesn't know that, yeah. (laughs) They don't know that. They don't know where you're from. No. Yeah, I grew up in Colombia. And in Colombia, um, I don't know now, but for sure when I was growing up, there was no wines. And uh, imported wines were very rare, Um, were mostly from Chile. And so the first wines that I was introduced were, were, were the Chilean wines. And I still have a fondness for Chilean wines because of that. Uh, much later, I discovered the Argentinian wines, which were not easy to find in Colombia for some reason. Mm. But the Argentinian <clears throat> wines were were very good. Um, and when I moved to California, which was in the 80s. But
0: there were no European wines, really?
1: Um, you could find them, but number one, they were very expensive, so, you know, being a teenager it's not mm-hmm. easy to find mm-hmm. my uncle and my dad they did have once in a while open really good bottles of wine mm-hmm. but we weren't I mean Into it was it. in yeah and when you're a teenager you're more about um,
0: what was your drink of choice as a, a young teen in Colombia
1: uh, as a young teen we were we would like we were doing um, rum a Colombian rum it's a white rum Uh huh. With coke and lime, mm-hmm. and we were serving on a bucket, on mm-hmm. a on a on an mm-hmm. ice bucket, mm-hmm. and so you
0: filled the whole ice bucket with
1: with with the rum and the coke and the lime, and then we would put straws, and all our <laughs> friends would just drink that and pass and, it around. And, no, just in the middle of the table, we oh. drink that and and dance reggae at oh. the at the at the bar. Nice. We were into reggae. Reggae vibes.
0: Yes. Reggae vibes. Okay, so you then came to California in the 80s, and you...
1: The wine industry in California was... I i don't know if it was starting. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but it, it seemed that it was barely starting. And back in the 80s, it was difficult to find a lot of things. Like Your generation is now used to having a lot of choices in the things mm-hmm. to find. I remember being here, and... Going to the supermarket, and the only, you know, in Colombia, you drink a lot of juice, natural juice, and that's part of your your regular um, diet and everything. And here, it was really difficult to find even juices. Like, you could find orange juice or apple juice, and mm-hmm. that was it. And mm-hmm. Coca-Cola, and that's for drinking. Even bottled water was rare back then. So, imagine wines. Wines, I think, it was Gallo, which was uh, cheap. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I don't know if you can say things, like, but it was at the time it was, were they were, they were not. Quite frankly, they were not very good, mm-hmm. and they were mass produced, and they didn't, you know, they didn't. There wasn't any appeal to that. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, Californian wines became really, really good, and even um, Grandpa, your Grandpa, um, loves coming to California and getting wines, California wines. Mm-hmm. He really thinks uh, some of the best wines that he drinks now are California. Hmm. Um, I don't know if he's tried Como La Flor. He hasn't. He
0: has not tried it.
1: Oh, my God.
0: It wasn't out when he was here. Okay. I know I'm sitting on a bottle for him specifically. So so
1: the California wines, um, when I was here, when I arrived here, I wasn't drinking. I would would try to find the Chilean wines that I knew. Um, There was one called 120. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a Chilean wine. Um, I don't remember the brands now, but uh, those were the wines that I would seek out whenever I wanted to have a wine, which was not often, though. I preferred other drinks. Mm. And um, I'd say I don't always drink wine, but when I drink, I prefer Como La Flor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I I prefer to drink uh, scotch, Mm -hmm. and I prefer to drink uh, tequilas.
0: Okay, so you're not really a wine person.
1: Um, no, I, I love drinking wine with, in good company with you, for example, I love drinking wine with you.
0: Perfect. Okay. What are your initial thoughts on natural wine as a movement? How, what do you just initial thoughts and then maybe how your thoughts have evolved since you've, maybe you've, you've learned a little bit about it over the last couple of years through me.
1: Okay, that's that's a great question. So I'm gonna be very frank, and this is your podcast. You can delete this if you want. But in the beginning, uh, some of the wines that you, when you started talking about the natural wines, and you gave me some names, and I tried some of them. Quite frankly, some of them uh, tasted like uh, like fermented juice. Like, that's the like best. Uh, <laughs> well, I know, but. <laughs> it, it it t- tasted like uh we call it in colombia chicha mm-hmm. which is like uh like a fermented just a fermented juice and um then you started showing me some better wines and I think one time you took me for my birthday to um to a restaurant and one of your one of the guys you interviewed for the podcast was mm-hmm. a very interesting mm-hmm. conversation you had with him it was a pleasure meeting him um he showed us a bunch of wines and whether you like natural wines or you care about that or not, they were on their own really, really delicious wines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not into the natural wine movement or whatever, they were on their own really, really good wines. And so, you know, I started thinking more about that in, in my business, in the food, I'm in the food business, and in the food business, I do care a lot about the quality of the food and the way the food is made and the way we produce the food that is artisanal and nostalgic and traditional, mm. and without the shortcuts of of the industrialized food uh, manufacturing mm. um, industry. And so I started thinking about that. Well, if that's true in the food business, then probably some of those, some of the ethical or some of that ethos or some of that, um, some of those principles would also apply to wine and i am sure that in this hyper competitive market there's a lot of wine makers and 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 certainly all the alcohol makers and the tequila business for example a lot of the the manufacturers take shortcuts because they need to produce more and they you know they have market demands that need to be fulfilled and so that cuts down on Cuts down on mm-hmm. on the quality, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure I am a I'm a fan of everything that is artisanal. I I, I think aesthetically and for lifestyle, obviously, you know this that's a that's a, a problem for for people who are already well off. I mean, if you're trying to feed a whole nation, yeah, you have to take sugar, and you have to mm-hmm. mass produce and whatever. But if you're into into the aesthetics of food and and drinks and all that, I think the way the product is made is really important. And I am a, I'm a fan of um, of the artisanally made products. Mm. And so you started talking about that and, and talking about the people that you've met in the industry. And I've heard some of your podcasts, the people you've interviewed are very interesting and, and very authentic about the way they make their products. And I love that. I, I love buying a leather jacket that is made by hand by someone you know, not just mass producing some factory with a bunch of slave labor, like someone who cares about how the thing is made. Mm-hmm. And uh, you introduced me, for example, to a jacket maker that, mm-hmm. that does mm-hmm. things like that. And mm-hmm. and um, when you had your, your fashion business, the, the, the fashion that you were making was very beautiful because it was very artisanally made and it was very carefully made and mm-hmm. caring and so I, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of that aesthetic, the artisanal, small-made, uh, caringly-made things. But some of the wines that you initially – actually, I don't m- – maybe you didn't show me those wines. I just went to the store and bought natural, what I thought were natural wines, and they tasted like like. No, I think fizzy, there were some of the fizzy, ones I gave you. Yeah, fizzy, orangey-tasting you know, like chicha. Like they, they were like just just fermented juice. I you know, I it didn't it didn't taste as sophisticated and, and as 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 the other wines that you've but I think that's And for example, I'm sorry to interrupt but This one, como la flor, and I, you say it's high intervention um or higher intervention, but it's really good. It's the what I like about it is I don't care if it's natural or this or that, but I care that it was made with such care, with such thought, with such intention, mm. and the fact that it was such a small batch. I mean, I wanna buy 12, I wanna buy a case, and I can't. I mean,
0: I feel like not all wines have to have a level of sophistication that perhaps you're used to, given your wine experience over time. The wines that you had maybe growing up or that you had been exposed to as quote unquote good wines were all probably a a more fancy schmancy vibe because for a really long time that's what people thought that wine had to be about and but if you go to like any town in Europe that is known for their wine in Italy in Spain in you know the Italian German borders all those little towns where they're all making wine a lot of times like they'll make wine for the community and they just make big barrels of wine and it's free and you just you know it's on everyone's table it's not so serious it's not like this super sophisticated version of anything trying to be a bordeaux or trying to be whatever we think a excellent wine is supposed to look like or taste like i feel like this natural wine movement is bringing back that sort of carefree, delicious, but carefree and simple. Not all, it, like, obviously, there's a lot of really complex and delicious and beautiful natural wines, but also, like, uplifting those wines that feel a little more light and juicy. Those are the terms you would you would call the ones that you said tasted like chicha mm-hmm. would be like light, fresh, juicy, mm. like not so serious. And I feel like the natural wine movement does that where like it brings wine to everyone's table. Number one at price point. And also like like it's 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 most natural wines are pretty accessible for like they're not $5, but those wines that are five dollars at the grocery store not really wine but like for a quality wine you could spend like 20 bucks 25 bucks I think on a natural wine Mm -hmm. so I feel like natural wine is making the movement in the United States is making it more accessible for people price point wise but also just like wine doesn't need to be reserved for Christmas night Mm -hmm. you know or like Thanksgiving dinner or like these like specific um, more serious events you can have a bottle of wine at two thirty in the afternoon on a Sunday while you're recording a podcast, and it doesn't have to be so serious. Actually,
1: that is the best time and yeah. the best place to drink wine.
0: Or on a so, Monday, on a Monday with your I don't know your your takeout, your favorite takeout, you could have a fun bottle of wine. It doesn't have to be so serious.
1: So, a couple things about what you just said. So, for example, about the the all European uh, wines and and all that. So, I'll, I'll tell you a little story when. We were on our honeymoon with your mom. Mm. We went to Greece. We are in a little island in Greece, and it's we one of my favorite
0: wine regions.
1: Yes, well, we were riding around on on a motorcycle around the island and all that, and I was looking at all these. this very is very dry land, very desertic, and the the vines were very shrubby and mm. small and all that. And these old men, it looked like they were, you know, from another century. Were just there cultivating their 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 wine it was tiny little vineyards and they would make their own wine and i w- I, I just thought that that was so um so real so authentic and it, it just it just it was so beautiful to see that uh, a man that lives in this rocky place just trying to make these shrubs throw some into grapes. Uh, into grapes and then make his own wine and then you know i told you mom let's stop and drink just try it let's try one of these bottles and the the wine was awful it was it tasted terrible but still the experience was was wonderful because mm-hmm. it was it was the it, it was the place it was the the man making it the man who made the wine showing it to us serving it to us mm-hmm. and so that that's that's one story related to that so i think wine there's also a context to the drinking of of wine and it's a context it's a social context and it's also a cultural context and that um, when it comes to okay
0: do we want to get into the let's get into our education portion Uh, he's looking nervous he never never doesn't know the answer okay so this portion I'm going to this is an education person. You're going to learn from this and hopefully the listeners will also learn in case they don't know what these words mean. Okay, this is the whole point of the Masimoto Please brand. We educate each other. We bring knowledge to the people. We do not gatekeep the knowledge. I didn't take a course so that I could keep this information to myself. You know, I learned it so I can share it with other people. So, that's what we're going to do here. So these are natural wine terms that I think you should know if you're going to continue your exploration of wine and natural wine. Okay. Okay. Some of these terms might overlap with quote unquote conventional wine or normal wine industry things, but some of them are very natty wine specific.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Okay. What is natural wine? What does natural wine mean? Oh,
1: that was my question to you. What is the definition of natural wine?
0: Before we start, let's get a little
1: more. So, to me, wine should be, all wine should be natural, mm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in the sense that it is a grape, and it's fermented, hopefully using the naturally occurring um, microorganisms in the in the in the grape, and that fermentation then. Probably filtered, You probably have to filter it somehow. I don't know. I, I I don't know any wine that doesn't use sulfites to mm-hmm. to filter. Um, well,
0: they wouldn't use it to filter.
1: The sulfites is to is well, not. Sulfites
0: would be to like preserve the, like, preserve the the wine, and stabilize it.
1: The for as an antioxidant. I thought the sulfites were used to decant the the particulates. That's what I thought.
0: My understanding.
1: Low so so I, I one of my best friends would get the meanest headaches when we would drink wine. Mm. And then we did some research and we discovered that it was because of the sulfites. He was allergic to sulfites. So we found wines that don't have sulfites. That's
0: impossible. All wines have sulfites. Well, no,
1: not all wines have sulfites.
0: It's that every it's a naturally occurring so he doesn't eat dried fruit.
1: Well he doesn't He doesn't
0: eat any like dried fruit, he doesn't eat raisins or like anything like that. I, it's a preservative. So I I don't think I'm gonna debunk I, this myth for you guys. Okay. You can tell him. Who which friend is
1: this? Juan Carlos. Okay.
0: The reason why he's probably getting massive headaches from his wine drinking is because he's drinking wines with massive amounts of added sugar.
1: Uh it's the sulfites. <laughs> Anyway, that was that's what we thought that he was the sulfite. So there's some wines with less sulfites, and yes, he there are
0: some wines with less sulfites, and for he doesn't sure. get a
1: headache with those wines, but he gets a headache with wines that have.
0: Uh, so okay, so I definitely see your guys' point. Okay, so in natural wines, there's no legal definition of what natural means or what classifies a natural wine, but one of those um, <clears throat> unofficial factors for wine for natural wine is the the use of sulfites in wine right all wine even if it's a zero zero wine which we'll talk about has naturally occurring sulfites sulfites are a preservative that will help balance and stabilize your wine through shelf life bottling shelf life etc some of these conventional Wines use insane amounts, like ridiculous amounts that can definitely probably cause a a headache or some kind of just like feeling. However, it should be noted that dried fruits, all of our dried fruits that we get from the store, from wherever, have like a 100 times more than wine. They use a lot of sulfites when preserving fruits, dried fruits and things like that. Um, because it's just, it's a preservative. The other thing is that, yes, there are definitely wines that can use less than what maybe the standard wines are that he was using or that he was drinking. And so, you know, some of these conventional wines are using like 300 parts per million sulfites for their, for their wines. A wine like this might not use more than a natural wine in the natural wine spectrum Sulfites should not exceed more than 30 parts per million. That's kind of like the, and that still, you know, some people are like zero added. But but my my question
1: is, that was my question. So one thing is naturally occurring um, sulfites sulfites, and another one is added sulfites. Yeah. For example, in the meat industry, the USDA does not allow the use of sulfites, Mm -hmm. of added sulfites Mm -hmm. in the meat. And it's because sulfites can be used as an antioxidant to to make the red look uh, redder. Mm. And if you, you sprinkle it with, with a little bit of uh, uh, sulfites, it reduces the, the oxidation of the meat and the fat. And so the the, the meat looks fresher. But that's forbidden by the USDA.
0: Because mm. um, it like preserves that.
1: Yeah, it is used as an antioxidant. But I thought in wine it was used as, as a decanter. They, they put it so that the, the heaviness, as it's coming down through the wine, it traps the...
0: That's fish bladder
1: and egg white.
0: So so those animal products, fish bladder and egg whites, can be used as the filtering agent um, and the fining agents for wines. So you get a wine that's, like, super crystal clear, a white wine that you can see, or a rosé that's, like, super, super clear. It's likely, unless it says it's vegan, it's likely been filtered and fined using these animal products like fish really? bladder and and egg white. Really? Mm-hmm. That's probably what you're thinking of. Doesn't uh, that
1: affect the flavors?
0: Uh, I guess not. I don't know. I don't drink those wines so I don't know (laughs) I don't know but I don't think it I mean I don't think it would affect the flavor necessarily but it's you're adding I mean I think it might affect the flavor in that like you're removing the sediment which can over time like add you know a little more expression a little more of a flavor profile to the Mm -hmm. wines where Mm -hmm. if you remove that then you're kind of just being left with like it's like when you take out like like a suero Right? Like from, or like the whey. Mm-hmm. From the, it's like, that's like the watery part that doesn't really have much of the flavor, but it still has a bit of it. And then the essence of the cheese or the milk product is in, mm-hmm. you know? That's what I think, I don't know. But yeah, again, I don't really like taste those wines too often. Okay. We're going to get into some, some. So
1: just to finish that thought, what is natural wine? Um, to qu- quote Buckminster Bur- Fuller said so that natural is what nature permits.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Okay. It's a good It's a good answer. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, true or false. No, this is not that's too hard. Okay, minimal <laughs> minimal or low intervention.
1: What is the question?
0: What is it what's the definition of minimal or low intervention in in the context of wine?
1: I would imagine that minimum intervention Means that the winemaker um, uses less additives and less processes mm. to drive the flavor or the final product. It just lets nature do its thing and pours it the way it is.
0: Very good, close. Yes, I mean, yeah, definitely. Would I would also add that all wine needs a little bit of intervention. It's definitely not going to make itself.
1: You need to crush the... But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> you gotta, need to you filter it. The beers, you, you, gotta- need to, you need to pick the barrels or the the containers. Yeah. You need to pick the bottle. You need to age it. You need to know how long to keep it. It
0: needs guidance. So that's
1: what I'm saying. That's why I don't think the low intervention thing is really that important because that's part of the artisanal, the art, the artistry of making the wine. Mm-hmm. In the case of yours... You know, you guys chose an essence and and mixed it, and how how long you left it, and the 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 choice of grapes and all that. It's intervention. I mean, you're intervening mm-hmm. in making mm-hmm. a wine. So that's what the artist does, right? The artist yeah. chooses the elements, the, element. the yeah, yeah, the elements and the techniques to to deliver to render a yeah. a final a final thought a final product
0: they are artists yes okay <clears throat> here's a fun one. Zero zero. what does zero zero mean
1: zero zero that's lingo i don't know i have no idea what that means Just
0: take a while to get you're not going to know any of these
1: like zero zero, zero is probably them. so like in the meat business the never ever or whatever like no no is. antibiotics, no preservatives, no intervention, no chemicals, no nothing. Zero 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 nothing. Just grapes grapes and fermentation.
0: That's pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Zero zero refers to the wines that have zero put into them and zero taken out of them. Mm. So absolutely no fining or filtering, absolutely no added sulfites um literally just grapes naturally occurring yeast so no added yeast doing their own thing zero zero this is really common there's a lot of like uh french wines uh that are like known for being like or the, they're they're also called sans souf without no sulfide sans souf um so that's zero zero pretty good pretty close okay what about mousy what does mousy mean you taste
1: mouse. Mousy. Hmm.
0: A wine is mousy.
1: Mousy probably refers to a little oxidized, uh, that has that flavor of, uh, you know, some wines that have been kept a long time, and you open them, and they have that little wet newspaper smell to them. Uh, I, my, that's my guess that mousy means.
0: Pretty good, pretty close. Mousy refers to a like smell or maybe taste that the mostly taste that the wine has uh it can happen in bottling or it could happen like after you open it and it gives that sort of like hamstery, newspapery, kind of gross. It's, yeah. like, not necessarily the best thing
1: that's to probably, have. Yeah, and that's probably oxidation, right? That's probably wine that's being oxidized.
0: Well, it could, yeah, it could come from that, or it could also, um, some people believe that it can come from, like, certain bacteria growth in the winemaking process that, like, gives it that flavor um,
1: in your final product. Could it be mold, a little bit of...
0: I don't know if it's, like, mold, mold per se. No, I don't think it's, like, mold. I just think that it's different bacteria growths that, like, might it's not a yeah it's not a pleasant flavor profile a lot of natural wines tend to be by by natural wine haters tend to be mousy <laughs> well they they just tend to like put that on like people who don't understand natural wines and who don't like natural wines might just claim that all natural wines taste mousy um but it's considered a flaw in the winemaking process so you don't want someone to say like this mouse this uh Wine tastes like mouse. It's not a good thing. Okay, glue glue.
1: Glue glue? hmm Glue glue. <laughs> Sounds like a very drinkable wine, a wine <laughs> that just goes down your throat very nicely and You're deliciously. You're cheating. I'm not cheating. I was just, <laughs> I'm guessing.
0: <laughs> Literally, glue glue means... Glug glug in French <laughs> <laughs> and it refers to wines. A
1: chuggable wine.
0: It refers to chuggable, light, fresh, juicy, fun, easy drinking wines. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Okay, Van de Soif. Van de Soif. Dust off your French. Yeah, no, it's soif. I'm, I don't
1: know. Soif Thirsty Oh Oh Okay I'm sorry Yeah my French Is a little A little Rusty
0: Dad went to a, a French school Yes For a large part Of his life
1: No for And did not my, learn my any French er, No 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 My early childhood Okay Early childhood
0: Alright Van de Swaff. Give it a guess um, Thirsty wine
1: Probably a wine A very refreshing wine that you drink when you're thirsty. I have a. He's great cheating.
0: S- he has a notebook next to him that I'm pretty sure no. has all these definitions no, no, in there. No, no.
1: I like this It's my poetry book. <laughs> um, I have a story for you about that. What? Van de Swaf. Van de Swaf. You recommended one time I was going to the beach
0: mm.
1: with the family, and I said I want to bring some nice wines for the beach. But I want to bring them in a can mm. because um you know the you're not supposed to drink in the beach, or whatever, and you recommended some wines, mm-hmm. and I brought them, and they were chilled, and they were very good, and I opened one, and I was very thirsty, but because it's in a can, and you're not used to drinking one from Are you a can. hugged No, I just drank it like but I was thirsty and it was delicious, and it was a little glue glue uh-huh. <laughs> so I drank it. And a can has two glasses, two wine glasses in it. of wine, and then I drank another one.
0: Oh my god, Dad! I, you had a bottle of wine. <laughs>
1: I, I had a bo- in less than half an hour. I was, I got to the water, and I was so drunk. Oh my god! I was like, I was so, I, I why am I so drunk? What happened? And then I realized oh I did the math and God. I had drank a whole bottle of wine in half an hour. Oh, my God,
0: Dad. <laughs> it's drinking because... Drinking it like soda. You, and it was a van de Swaff. It, it, That's
1: that's, that's, why, that's why I think wine in a can is so dangerous. Because yeah. you're not used to measuring it and, and, and parsing Pacing it. yourself you, out. You, you drink it like if it was a beer or like oh if it was a, a juice. What or,
0: wine was this? What wine was it?
1: Uh, I think one of your friends or one of the people that you... Um, Interviewed had a
0: oh was it Kristen?
1: I don't know. I was don't it a rem- skinny can? Uh, no, it was not a skinny can. I
0: mean, it wasn't her. It,
1: it, the, the 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 can had sixteen ounces, so it was it was it, I drank a lot very quickly, and I was very drunk when I got oh my the God. water. I mean, it passed out, it passed quickly, but it was it was very.
0: Oh it was very funny because I'm I'm a
1: very careful drinker and so Yeah, I'm,
0: Dad doesn't ever get drunk. That's <laughs> weird. Oh my god. Okay, well, that is a Vandeswaf. Well,
1: that was my story a- of Vandeswaf. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely
0: a de Soif Swa- <laughs> de story. A Soif is the f- again another French term that refers to wines that are super refreshing, um super easy drinking and that really l- don't require any other uh any other... Um,
1: some sun, some salt, yeah, some ocean.
0: <laughs> no other requirements except casual, fun, easy drinking. That's a Van de Swap. Okay. I recently found, I think it's an Australian producer, and they make a wine called a vanda Sofa. <laughs> and it's a play on that, but it's like the kind of wine you're supposed to drink just chilling on the couch, on the couch watching yeah. Netflix, and easy drinking. Okay. Brutal. What does brutal mean?
1: Hmm. I don't know. It sounds like brute probably
0: brutal. In Spanish, think of it in, yeah, think of br- it in Spanish.
1: brutal means like uh like like harsh like uh
0: esta brutal.
1: Oh, like really good, is delicious, phenomenal. I I thought a brutal. I thought it was a play on words with brute and mm. and fruity. So mm. I, I thought that was brute, like, that would have that would been my fruity, guess. But, yeah. Okay, is that what it means? Brutal means like, like
0: no. Actually, you'll get a kick out of this. So brutal refers to brutal is based brutal with three exclamation points is essentially a it's a public wine label that started in Spain so it was a group of um natural winemakers from the like Catalonia region who decided to kind of like band together and just make like a really experimental wine and they were like the only requirement is that we can't add anything and we can't take anything out so it's a zero zero wine And it is just total experiment. Let's just see how it goes. If it goes great, it goes great. If it doesn't, whatever. And it ended up being Brutal. Like, it was delicious to them. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, my God, this is the best wine we've ever made. It was a a small collaboration between, like, three of them or four of them. And so they bottled it, and they put – they called it Brutal, three exclamation points, and the label has, like, a grim reaper with, like, a dagger on it. Um. And then they decided that they were going to make it a public label that any winemaker who decided that they wanted to make an experimental wine for themselves, um, zero, zero, nothing added, nothing taken away, they could make it under the Brutal label. And they would like, so basically the only requirements to this, these wines. It's an open
1: source, zero, zero.
0: Yeah, an open source, zero, zero wine. So once, so... What
1: a, those what guys a, in what a Spain. Interesting concept, Yeah, yeah those a, guys in
0: Spain made it. But like, if you had a winery in Pasadena, you could make your wine, and if it's a total experiment, and you decided to make it under the zero-zero standards, and it came out the way you wanted, you could label it under there like Brutal, and it would be like Brutal, Andreas Pasadena mm. wine made with whatever grapes you chose. Skin contact wine. What does skin contact mean?
1: Does skin contact mean that you leave the skin during fermentation? Mm. But doesn't all wines leave the skin during fermentation?
0: No. So, great. So, skin contact refers to white wine grapes leaving the skins Mm. in contact with the juice Uh for a period of time um, in order to give that... in order to release and and give the tannins of the skin into the juice of the wine, so you could have direct press or you could have skin contact, and
1: wait, direct press. What is direct that? direct
0: press? Is basically removing the skins from the juice immediately. Okay. So that the juice doesn't have any. Okay,
1: got it, got it. Okay. Any. So you press it and then it gets filtered and you just get the juice but leave the. Leave the skins. Yeah, you
0: remove okay. them immediately, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or you could do a skin contact where you leave the yeah, skins on right. uh touching the juice for a period of time. It can be, with white wines, it can be anywhere from a couple of days to months. I've had a skin contact wine, white wine, that was on the skins for like 11 or 12 months, which is like basically like a year of really intense skin contact. Mm-hmm. Which leads me to my next question. What is an orange wine?
1: Well, based on your preamble, probably an orange wine is a wine that um, it's a a green grape that by leaving it in contact with the skin gives it the Mm orangey color.
0: Yeah, so orange wines are skin contact wines. You can use either name to describe them. Um, so if somebody says like oh we don't have orange but we have skin contact then they don't know what they're talking about yeah (laughs) because they have they do they're the same thing yeah but some people yeah the skin contact is the process in which you use to make the orange wine orange wine is more of like a slangy term that's used to describe the wine based on the color that it now has so white wines as you said usually have like a green or a white skin on it and depending on the grape depending on and depending on the amount of time that the skin contact occurred the grape skins and the grape juice occurred it could be anywhere from like a like sort of like straw hay like color to like neon orange like full neon like a and the most de- orange you've ever seen, that depends. to dark, 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 dark orange.
1: That depends only on the amount of time, or also no, on the variety and the
0: variety and the and the type of grape that you use. Yeah, it okay. depends. So some grapes can give off like a more neon color. Others might give off a more so. How about the flavor?
1: The do the tannins change. Definitely, Is it like a little tartness or a little. The
0: the tannins definitely
1: more affect astringent. the
0: flavor. So you might have, yeah, you'll definitely have a more stringent or tannic feeling wine than you would normally have for a white wine. Um, And then you'll also have like a more, like more of like a mouthfeel. Like it might, not that it has more body because you can still have really light orange Mm -hmm. wines, but it'll have just something a little bit more that you feel like when you're drinking Mm -hmm. a red wine, right? And so white wines are typically like really light and really like, kind of like crisp and like maybe don't have as much like backbone uh-huh. right but an orange wine is gonna have like just a little yes. bit more yeah. it's gonna feel a little I've, I've like
1: some of the orange wines that you've given me yeah there's Those some really, really good yeah
0: and the color can like i said the color can range from like straw colored to dark amber like almost like it looks like oxidized like you're like this is basically brown like a port or it could be like neon and you're like this isn't even like a real color like I think orange wines are the best wines because they live in the space between red and white with enough backbone for things. Like, for example, like, I was recently talking to somebody about pairing wines with arepas. And for me, like, whenever I have arepas, I usually use chicken and, like, avocado and other things that typically, you know, chicken is typically paired with a white wine. But the arepa, like, it just... It's a little bit heartier, right? It's like mm-hmm. not just like a like a light. I don't know. There's just something like it needs a little bit more. So an orange wine is a really good option for something like that because you have that like charred flavor of the arepa on the, on the skillet. Plus you have whatever fillings you're adding, your chicken, your avocado, um, maybe your veggies, whatever it has.
1: So let me ask you a question. What would you use for a to? What wine would you pair with tamales?
0: Oh, great question. I paired, okay, so I've already done this. I paired a really fantastic uh, rosé from Mexico, um, from uh, from Baja, with some of the tamales that you gave me, like, last year. And it was one of the best pairings I've ever combined. It was like, a, I can't remember now which grape they used for the rosé, but it was like a, it wasn't a super dark rosé. It was pretty light. It was very funky. Like It was almost like somebody likened it to like a mezcal mm-hmm. where it was like kind of smoky in its really? in its flavor. Yeah. So people were like a little bit shocked because you're not used to having a rosé like that. But it was really nice and smoky. And then I paired it with the, the uh, I think it was the cheese and maybe the chicken. So good. It was like, that was like one of my best pairings I've done. But also for it with tamale, I think you could also definitely do an orange wine. Um, maybe I could almost see like an orange, like uh Grenache Blanc, which like tends to be a little bit bolder, a little bit more round, which I think could go well with the cheese and the corn. I think that could be like, a, but, but orange skin contact, I think would be nice.
1: And what would you pair with, let's say you're with friends, just, just an afternoon drinking wine and munching on, on. Mexican style beef jerky Mm. like a very (laughs) thin crisp beef jerky
0: I think I might do definitely red but not too bold because your beef jerky is going to be dry and thin actually kind of light and so I might do something like I would maybe do like um, I think like a carignan could be really good I could see it with Um, some kind of like, you like a a lighter red, not necessarily a chilled red, but a lighter red. That's not going to be not a Cab Sov, not your typical steak reds, right? Steak wines. I wouldn't do that. I think that's too heavy. Something
1: lighter, a little bit lighter Mm -hmm.
0: for snacking, especially if you're just snacking, you want something easy drinking Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because otherwise, yeah, the other wine is going to be just too heavy and too bold and kind of like bog you down. Okay. Uh, good question. Good. Good, questions. good questions. Good questions. Thanks. All right, Dad. Thanks for being on my podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This, <laughs> this is delicious. Fun. It was
1: wonderful breaking my alcohol fast with this yeah. wonderful wine.
0: Are you going to continue your? Yes,
1: I'm going to continue my fast oh, after gonna this. Oh, you're going to go back to it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How long does it last? Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like this podcast, be sure to follow my sister on Instagram, TikTok, and subtech and don't forget to share this episode with your friends.
0: Okay, one more time, but you said sub-tack. Say sub-stack. Sub-stack. Yeah.
1: Okay. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like this podcast...
0: And just like that, Maspino Please, the podcast, season one, is wrapped. And I can't tell you what a relief it is. I'm a little burned out on trying to keep up with editing. I definitely need to create a better system for myself for season 2, but now I know exactly what I need to do to make season 2 even more seamless. Honestly, I'm super proud and excited about having pulled this off. I knew absolutely nothing about podcasting, recording. I didn't even know like anything about microphones, how to plug in a microphone. Like I was very far removed from the podcasting world and We did it, y'all. We freaking produced, recorded, edited, hosted, marketed, promoted a podcast. Thank you to every single one of you who has listened and who has supported and who has shared and rated this podcast. Big giant thank you to every single person who agreed to come on to the show and let me interview them and let me talk to them about their experiences. I learned so much and I really hope that you all did too. And thanks again to my dad for being on the podcast, knowing very little about wine and allowing me to quiz him on these tough terms. Hopefully that was a fun little practice for you all to learn what some of these terms mean. The idea is that we all learn my dad, me, you guys, everyone. And lastly, big shout out to my hype man, Matt, for always listening to the podcast one or two times before it goes live, except for this one. I don't think he'll listen to this one first, but I love you. And I love everyone else also. As much as I love Matt, I love everyone else. And I'll see you guys in a couple of months with season two. And in the meantime, if you can just go ahead and get on Spotify, get on Apple and rate rate this podcast, I would love you even more. Thanks. Bye.